This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. The gospel is not just advice. It's good news. The gospel is not just forgiveness, but you are forever clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All that he deserves has been put on you and all the heavens stand and salute. You realize that? Think about Jesus. All of what he has done, all the honor and glory that is rightly due him, God places it on you. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. And through this message and our whole series, Pastor Jeff is hoping that we all have a breakthrough in our understanding of the gospel. To understand that the gospel is not advice, but it's good news. We're partway through this message, and if you missed the first part, don't worry. You can catch up wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines on every major podcast platform. Here's Pastor Jeff as he continues through Romans chapter 1, verse 5. You know, this past, over the past two weeks, we have this thing called leadership. And you had all these young boys and girls go up into the mountains to have an experience with God. And man, every year, the Spirit of God, there's an anointing on that place. And the Spirit of God transforms young men and women's lives. It's amazing to hear the stories. Ryan Otteson, who's one of the leaders, in one of his addresses to the congregation, he stands up and he tells them, young men and young women, you are the sons and daughters of God. Now start living like it. Well, how does one live like a son and daughter of God? Go through your life knowing that the Father loves you, adores you, has your best interest in mind, values you, treasures you, and can't wait for the day when you're seated with him in glory. Go live your life, man. Go on as a prince, not a pauper, as a princess, knowing that God is for you and adores you. See, you don't really believe. Hey, I want to tell you something. You don't really believe God looks at you like that because you still think it's about you and how good you were yesterday or the week before. And see, as long as you think that, this whole thing of Christianity is going to be laborious. It's going to be like, oh man, ah, do I really have to do this again? Read the Bible, pray, got to go to church. The gospel is not just advice. It's good news. The gospel is not just forgiveness but you are forever clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All that he deserves has been put on you and all the heavens stand and salute. You realize that? Think about Jesus. All of what he has done, all the medals he should have been given, all the honor and glory that is rightly due him, God places it on you. Not because you deserve it, because you don't. Not because you can earn it, because you can't but simply because he loves you. You know, going back to golf, man, three golf illustrations in one sermon. When you win the Masters, 
they give you a green jacket. And what makes this tournament so unique is one, when you win the Masters, that jacket is yours and no one could ever take it. Two, you become an honorary member of the golf club that nobody can ever rescind. And three, you get to play in the Masters the rest of your life. Even if you stink. Even if you get to be 80 and can barely swing the club. The rule has been in the past. I think there's been a little change recently. But the rule for years has been as long as you can walk and swing a golf club, because you won the Masters, because you have a green jacket, you are in forever. Don't you understand that when you receive Christ as your Savior, you're a lifetime member? Once you've given your life to Jesus in humility, he gives you a robe of righteousness that replaces your filthy rags. And once Christ becomes your Lord and Savior, once you reach out and receive his gift, he puts a robe around your shoulders. He places a medal around your neck. You belong to him and not even the gates of hell can snatch you from his arms. Do you know that? If, if, if you don't start getting excited, I'm going to start dancing up here and then you'll, you'll never have that. Come on, man. This is the gospel. I mean, you're going to win. Three, the gospel is not about your knowledge and strength, but about the power of one. Now follow me. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God into salvation. Now let's ask this question again. Whose power saves you? So it's not your power. Whose righteousness saves you? So it's not your righteousness. Hmm. So it's all a gift you receive. Nothing you can do to earn it, right? It's given to you freely for all who call on the name of the Lord. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith in your righteousness? No, no, no. Faith in the righteousness of Christ given to you. So you can't save yourself, right? Even if you try your hardest to live a good life, what if you live a relatively good life? You're kind of better than your relatives. <laughs> so a list of precepts can't save you. Having the correct political view won't save you. No set of rituals or regulations can save you. So only Jesus can save you through his work on the cross, right? Then the only way you're ever going to break through into joy and peace and this thing about, man, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. <laughs> I'm pretty much free to go live my life because he took care of me. My eternity's secure. I'm good to go. The only way, the only way that you'll ever break through is if at some point in your life, the gospel offended you. What do you mean? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, if he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, ashamed if I'm not embarrassed by the gospel, then that means some people are. If I say I'm not ashamed of her, that means some people might be ashamed, or I'm not ashamed of him, other people might be. So Paul emphatically states, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why would he make a statement like that? Now, stay with me. I know what this is like. I grew up in Eastside Christian Church in the sticks of East Tennessee. And let me tell you something. I'm thankful for the Bible verses that we read and the VBSs, but let me tell you something. I grew up in the legalistic South, where even the Baptists are atheists. Or maybe I should say, even the atheists are Baptist. Everybody goes to church. Everybody. Doesn't matter what you believe, because that's what you do. Everybody. And everyone is religious and conservative. That's the sound. Now, think about it for a moment. These are the same groups of people, and I can say this because I grew up in this culture. 
that will tell you, whoa, no, it takes more than confession and repentance, man. You got to live a clean life. You got to straighten up and fly right, man. You just can't go in under, you know, you can't go in by grace and mercy. You, I mean, yeah, you get that, but you better live right. God's up there with an eraser in the book of life ready to erase your name. Hallelujah. Of course, these are the same people who are fighting and bickering about every unimportant issue you can imagine, filled with jealousy and envy, fired the preacher every three years just because they can, and they all wanted to get out of church as soon as they could so they can get on the front steps and feed their nicotine habit. And they're clock watchers. When is this service over? When is this service over? Well, of course, if that's how you look at Christianity, it's laborious, it's hard. Who wants to be a church person? Who wants to be a Christian? Man, this is boring and it's relentless. Just, but I got to do it to appease God. The gospel of grace was foreign to most of the people in that church. And church was a chore and worship was mundane. Let's get in here and get it over with. When salvation is about you, it's laborious and you'll never have peace because you, you know down deep inside who you really are. Oh yeah, now we done said it. That's, that's the problem. See, you know who you really are. And there's no way you're ever going to have peace if your salvation is based on you. The strange thing about this, and I'm hurrying, don't rush me. The strange thing is, I was 16 years old. Jesus was starting to do some work in my life because of my grandmother and my mother. We were at a basketball camp in Maryville. I've told you the story before. I'm going to shorten it down. It's a short version. And I was just beginning to stand up for Christ. And I walked by one of the dorm rooms and all my teammates, it was a basketball camp where you play like five games a day. It's a time of build, a community, you know, you know, basketball players, you know what I'm talking about. It's a team camp. You go and you're playing and you're just getting to know each other, building camaraderie during the summer so you'll have a strong team in the fall. And I go by the room and every, all the players on my team were in that room except me. And they're all looking at Centerfold. And one of the players said, Binesy, come on in, you want to look at this? Of course, they held it up. I said, no, no, I don't need that. What's wrong? I said, no, nah, man, I just don't need that. Why don't you need that? And then that was, this is probably the first time I said, well, guys, I, I'm, I'm a Christ follower. It's not something that, that's not something that I pursue. What do you mean? I said, well, do you really want to know? Yeah. I said, okay, come back tonight after our last game and I'll tell you. So we played the last game. They all came back in. So there, and it was my first time I preached. I, I was just talking really. And I was nervous, but I knew enough to, to tell them the gospel. And I got to the point where I said, guys, Jesus knows that you and I are sinners and he is willing and ready to give you his forgiveness of past, present, future sin. I think that's the first time I said that statement. If you'll just humbly confess that we're all messed up. And then later on, he'll give you the ability to pursue things that will bring health and vitality to you. Now, guess what? All the players were with me except one. The Baptist. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Uh, my dad's a pastor, and it's not that easy. Oh, man. Oh, man. Now, I'm not ragging on Baptists here. I, I, it just happens to be he was a Baptist, but a Baptist in the South. I said, dude, man, no. No, it is that easy. Are we not all messed up in this room? Come on, man. I mean... Do we all not have addictions of some kind that we hide from each other? Come on, man. There's a few of us that are honest enough to get help, but most of us will never get help because people can't see our addiction. The ones that you hide are the most difficult ones. 
but we're all messed up. So you go from the legalistic South, and now you go to our university settings in America, and now you go to the liberal secular cultures where philosophy rules the day, and where the attitude is this. The highest idea in our universities is to be an abstract thinker. Oh, I'm going to think about the high ideas. Oh, that's good. We're going to have intellectual conversations about the possibilities of the universe. But we're never going to arrive at any conclusions. No, can't do that. We can't ever say that we know anything with certainty, except we can say with certainty we know nothing with certainty. So when you say to the liberal educated crowd in the South, oh, you just, it's got to be more than that. But the liberal educated crowd is this. You go to them and you say, here's the first century carpenter. He dies. Everything changes if you believe that. Trust in Jesus. You're in. Trust in yourself. You're out. They'll say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's far too simplistic. That's offensive. That kind of clarity and certainty is embarrassing to a deep thinker and intellectual irreligious person like myself. It's too simple. Liberal, conservative, blue collar, white collar. If you're from the north or the south, the east or the west, the gospel is absolutely unique. It's in a class by itself. Everybody hates it. It contradicts everyone. It contradicts every system of thought, culture, worldview. It's completely on its own. And whoever you are, I'm telling you, whoever you are, unless the gospel at some point in your life offended you, you've not broken through. So my theology professor tells us this illustration. This was my first breakthrough. Coming out of that South, coming out of that church, I'm in seminary, I'm 31 years old. And my theology professor, going through the book of Romans, tells the story about a guy who goes to heaven and St. Peter's there. By the way, he's always there. If you notice in all the jokes and stories, St. Peter's always there. Why is he there? Anyway, he's there. There's a sign over the pearly gates that says, entrance requires 1,000 points. And so the guy says, 1,000 points? Okay, okay. Peter says, well, tell me about your life. He says, well, I went to church every Sunday and I sang all three verses of every hymn. Peter said, that's great, man. That's worth, well, well I volunteered at God's pantry. I helped feed those people who were hungry. Uh, I, I helped in the youth uh, department. I invested in the next generation. And Peter said, oh, that's, that's great. That's worth one point. Uh, I took communion to the sick and shut in. Uh, I, I gave old cars to people who didn't have one. Oh, that's great. That's worth one point. So now he's sweating. And finally, after he's go through this and he realizes he said everything he's ever done in his life and he's got like five points, he throws his hands up in frustration and he says, my goodness, I guess the only way to get into this place is by the grace of God. And Peter says, ah, oh, yeah, that alone is worth 1,000 points. <laughs> and it dawned on me, that's the gospel. What about the elephant in the room? You mean I can believe what Jesus did on the cross and it doesn't matter how I live? Oh, it absolutely matters. Do you know why it matters? Concerning the testimony of Christ in you. Do you understand that you never have the righteousness of God put on you without discovering that it's beginning to be developed in you? You're never loved by God in spite of your character without that reality changing your character. Do you know another verse that Martin Luther struggled with and came to a conclusion that we seldom hear about is verse five up in Romans one. Look at it. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. Now, the Greek structure here is very important when we study this. It's not the faith that comes from obedience. It's obedience that comes from faith. In other words, there's a natural cause and effect when you have faith in the righteousness of God placed into your heart. 
When you realize what Jesus did to make you his treasure, you will make him yours. It's the natural cause and effect. Listen, this is not as hard as we make it. Tell me something. When you fall in love, doesn't everything change? Come on. When I fell in love with Robin, you become less egocentric and more them-centric. When you fall in love, you think about what pleases them. You think about what makes them happy. You sacrifice for them, love them, pursue them. That's love. The problem is too many of us have not fallen in love with Jesus. And the reason is you don't realize what he's done because you think it's up to you. And that's why there's no joy. Just monotony and earning. And the reason you've not had a breakthrough yet, you're still thinking your salvation has something to do with you. You want to take a little of the credit which means you've never come to the end of yourself realizing there's nothing you bring and your complete helplessness causes you to cry out to God. And let me tell you something. You know why the prayer meeting that one and all works on a Monday night? You know why this place is packed on a Monday night? Because we started with people who were in Celebrate Recovery and people in Celebrate Recovery are desperate. Oh, we all are. They're just willing to admit it. And they're the ones that started this prayer meeting and it's why it took off. You gotta be desperate. And the problem is you're not desperate and neither am I. Because when you get desperate and you realize there's nothing you can do, you will fall in love with Jesus and then let people try to keep you out of worship and prayer with God. Saving Private Ryan, stay with me, almost done. Saving Private Ryan, I'm going over a bit, but you don't care. And if you do, just act like you don't. (laughs) Saving Private Ryan, listen, Saving Private Ryan. So you got this great movie. You've got Private Ryan who has three brothers. It's during the war. Those three brothers have died. He's the last remaining brother in the family. And so the U.S. military's policy at that point was if you've got four boys and three are dead, you've got to get the other boy out. A mother should not lose all her sons. It takes four brave, courageous men to go dead straight into the war, putting themselves in harm's way to save Private Ryan. And they do, but it cost all four men their lives. And at the end of the movie, Private Ryan is an old man now, and he goes to the graveyard. His family comes with him. He weeps. He falls down on his knees in front of their graves, and he utters these words. He says, every day, I think about what you said to me that day on that bridge. He's talking about Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, who looked up to him and said, earn this. In other words, four men gave their lives for you. Now live a life of character. Earn it. He continues by saying, I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that at least in your eyes, I earned what all of you have done for me. And then he stands and he looks at his aged wife and he says, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. Two powerful truths. One, salvation always requires sacrifice. And two, sacrifice always compels gratitude. But again, this is where the gospel is so unique. And I was very uncomfortable how preachers used to use this illustration because it misses the point. Because Jesus does not look to you and say, earn this. He says, go and tell them the good news. Tell everybody. Tell them what I've done to receive the free gift of grace. I've saved them all. Let them rejoice in my righteousness. Because the fact is that all people, religious and irreligious, trust in their own righteousness. Something that they do 
or something they believe themselves to be that they think places themselves in the category of acceptance. And because of that, because they think they're earning it, they never fall in love. And because they never fall in love, church is laborious. Prayer is a hassle. Worship is something they'd rather not do. The greatest enemy to the gospel has always been the gospel of moralism. And until you're able to discard that temptation to justify yourself and throw yourself completely and wholly on the mercy of God and the grace found in Christ, there will not be a breakthrough. There will be no passion, no joy, no peace. You will check out of church and other spiritual things. They will become laborious to you all because you never came to the end of yourself. Oh man, I have so much more to say. I'm at a time in my life when I, as I said, I can't play the game anymore. I just can't play this game. I want more of Jesus. I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want more of him in my life. And I don't earn that. Do you know how you get that? You come to the end of yourself, completely to the end of it. And you say, God, I don't care how foolish I look. I don't care what people think of me. I just want you. When you get to that point, the spirit of God moves. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That's the power of one. Chris Fink a couple of years ago said something, and I don't know, every time I preach a sermon like this, I remember it on stage. He said, if God never does another thing for you, he's done enough. Oh, man. Don't you know you're on your way to heaven? Don't you know that you're going to see your loved ones again? Don't you know that this life is going to seem like a blur one day? Don't you know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Don't you know that there's going to come a day, no hunger, no thirst? No more struggles with our emotions and depression and anxiety and addictions. But even now as we struggle, when God looks at you, he adores you. He adores you. And when, when you get that, you'll defeat your depression and anxiety and addictions. Because addictions are usually you doing something to feel something that you don't think you have. Love, acceptance, forgiveness, a future, a hope. Don't you know that one day there will be no more elections? Praise God. Hallelujah. The king is on the throne. Speak the good news. Don't be ashamed of it. Be freed up to pursue your passions, but let Christ be the greatest passion of your life. But I'm telling you that will never happen until you understand, truly understand the gospel. But when you do, everything's going to change. The team wrote a song, Take More of Me. Think about what God has given you when you give a little bit of you. Think what would happen if you gave him all of you. Oh my. Your cup would run over. It would be poured out running over into your lap if you just give him you.
Father, thank you so much for the power of the gospel. I would pray that the spirit of God would move in this place right now as we sing and as we worship. Something would happen, chill bumps down our spine, our eyes would be open, we would have a breakthrough. I pray that for so many, today would be the first day of the rest of their lives where they recognize, man, I need to chill. God has given me everything and I love him and I'm gonna go out and please the heart of my father because of what he's done for me in Christ's name. Everybody said then, amen. 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 You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.